This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City well, sports writer for KSL.com and, and host of this show. So, you know, I have a lot of tags to, to bear, I guess. But instead of Ben Clayton, our Ben Clayton extraordinaire, as we like to say. Or Ben, ben Dowsett. Ben Dowsett, sorry. I, I, I teased halfway, I guess. We have Dan Clayton joining us. <laughs> uh, Salt City Hoops writer, former Spanish radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and all-around good guy. Dan and apparently Clayton. adoptive brother of Ben Clayton. Ben, I'm sorry. Formerly Ben See, Dowson, you made ben the same mistake, though. I know. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's it's been really neat to have Ben in the family. So I, I was just telling <laughs> you that I was up until about 3.30 last night writing my piece for KSL.com, along with the, the other five articles that I posted yesterday, along with, you know, I'll, I don't know, I did a podcast earlier today. And anyway, the draft time is fun. No one likes to hear media people complain about, right. like, how hard their job is. Like, I got to watch basketball or living, and now you know I'm talking about basketball, like while also keeping my, the corner of my eye on this women's soccer game that's going on, one nil to the USA uh, in the 77th minute. But it's, anyway, it's more than a corner of your eye. All right, from it's, where it's I sit, all more of like, my vision, right? Exactly, always. Like fully two eyes are on that <laughs> soccer game. <laughs> but the point is, I'm a little bit distracted, so I'm sorry I called you or called Ben, Ben Clayton. It's all right. We we. I'm here. That's the important thing. And I, I appreciate it. Thanks for, for coming in from New York City. I know you came in especially for this. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when when Ben, my stepbrother, needed to take a, uh, <laughs> or adoptive brother, needed to take the night off, I uh, I hurried and jumped on a flight. No, it's it's great to be in town. Um, you know, I obviously love New York and love where I live and that kind of thing, but being back here even for a few days reminds me what I miss about Salt Lake City. So It's very, very hot. Yeah, it has been hot, but it's not as humid. So, like, right. you know, it's okay. Like, I just ran to catch tracks mm-hmm. out in West Jordan. And, like, if I ran that far in New York City, I would be pretty much out of commission for the rest of the day. No humans would want to be around me <laughs> for several hours. I'm not saying that humans are, like, lining up to be around me right. as it is, but uh, but at least you're, like, here in the same studio with me. So that's that's an improvement. Yes. Uh, we've got a good show for you guys coming up today. We have Dennis Lindsay spoke for about an hour combined between yesterday and today's press conferences. We've got some really interesting kind of nuggets of things he said, both about Trey Lyles and then looking forward to free agency as as the Jazz kind of attack that and, and look to add some talent this July free agency period. So we've got some little some little quotes that we want to kind of break down from you, kind of give the Salt City Hoops trademark analysis of. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and then we also kind of want to break down everything that did happen on draft day, uh, breaking down the NBA trades that happened. There were, I believe, either 10 or 11 separate deals that happened within 24 hours of the trade, uh, I guess, not the trade deadline, sorry, of draft day. And Luke Ridnauer was part of all of them. <laughs> and Luke Ridnauer, <laughs> maybe not all, but I would say, yeah, 30%. That's, that's right. exactly <laughs> accurate. So, um, and so anyway, we're, we're going to have a, a lot of fun today. So let's go ahead and, and play our, our first Dennis Lindsay quote. It's kind of like Dennis Lindsay is almost a, a guest on the show today with, with how much we're going to be playing of him. And as always, you can feel free to tweet us 
at Andy B. Larson, or Dan, you can tweet at Dan Clayton. But if you replace that end O of Clayton with a zero, because, you know, he's hip with the times. Right. He's leet. Um, I'm sorry I said that. Let's go ahead and move on <laughs> to the first quote. Uh, what Dennis Lindsay said to convince me on Trey Lyles. I, I'm I'm going to go ahead and interrupt and say I first thought that Trey Lyles I, I was not excited about the pick at first. Like, I think a lot of Jazz fans were. I think they were hoping for Devin Booker because it, it's easy to understand what Devin Booker represents. He's a shooter. He shoots well. That's Devin Booker, full stop. Trey Lyles, his his upside is a little bit more... Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's the smaller things. You know, it, it's less obvious right. to the naked eye. It, it, he's he's a little bit harder to explain to people, and and quite honestly, I didn't get it before until Dennis Lindsay spent time explaining it. Yeah, he's he's a subtle player for sure. We can you know we can hear what Dennis had to say and then and then break it down. But I agree with you. Yeah, let, let's start with what Dennis said about Trey Lyles' size. As you guys will soon see, he's a lot bigger than you realize. He's six ten and a half. Uh, 240 pounds plus, I want to say 243, with a frame that can uh, get bigger. He could, if, if it's the right weight, he can move that uh, very well. Uh, seven one wingspan. Uh, he also um, uh, has very large hands, uh, as you guys will soon see. Uh, his playmaking with the ball, uh, his handle, how tight it is, his ability to keep his head up. Um, and play unselfish basketball is superior. Yeah, so I, I think that's interesting and not something I realized maybe when I was interviewing Trey Lyles, and maybe that's just because, you know, I, I, I talked to a lot of NBA players, but he measures out as a six ten and a half power forward at, at 243. That's, that's pretty amazing size for someone who can actually kind of play the perimeter pretty well. Yeah, I mean, when you watch him, I, I think he does have... He does. He has flashes of a small forwards game, and obviously that's because Kentucky he played small forward. Had him at small forward. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, he's he's mobile, and, and I think that makes him interesting. Um, there have been other six ten guys two forty who were mobile who didn't pan out. So I'm not, I, you know, like we need to we need to temper. In other words, like I followed. I think Andy just because I saw your comments on social media. I followed your process a little bit. Where at first I was like, oh, really? That's what the Jazz come away with. To the, you know, from the 2015 NBA draft. And then, you know, over time, I'm trying to talk myself into it, partially using Dennis's logic and partially using stuff that's out there on the worldwide interwebs. And, you know, part of it for me is, you know, yeah, the size, the size is exciting. And, and maybe he won't be, I know that the lazy comp that a lot of jazz fans have thrown out there is that he's kind of a middle-class man's Carlos Boozer. Um, and by the way, when I say lazy comp, I'm guilty of that one. Like, There's- does middle class man just equal the same as Carlos Boozer, or is Carlos Boozer the rich man in this comparison? And then you move. Uh, I guess right. what does that even mean? Right, like we're, I get poor man's and I get rich man's. What does middle class Carlos Boozer like? Mean? We're we're transferring to an economy where <laughs> Carlos Boozer represents you know the million dollar mansion. Ah, okay. So so, so already like, we're not in a you know I, the way I kept putting it is when I watched Trey Lyles you know play and and when I watched the. In fact, I even felt this way when I watched his strengths video specifically. I, I came away from watching that thinking his pluses remind his his minuses, his liabilities remind me of Boozer. His pluses aren't quite as plusy as Boozer's. Yeah. Is how I kind of felt about him pre draft. But then when you say, hey, six ten, two forty, that's legit size and legit size and length 
is something that Carlos Boozer didn't have. So that's where I was trying to go with the Boozer. Right. No, I, I agree. And I, and I think there are some similarities. And honestly, he, he kind of looks like Carlos Boozer. He's even got like the, the earrings on both sides. He, he kinda, the way he dunks? He dunks like Carlos Boozer. He, he, I think, does his interviews a lot like Carlos Boozer, where nothing all that interesting is said until, I yeah. don't know, he's probably not going to like say he's leaving the team or <laughs> it's going to get a raise regardless. Yeah, there it is. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think he's, he's kind of in that same mold. You can see why that comparison is made. But then you, you ask what kind of the comparison is from, from Dennis Lindsay's point of view, and maybe they compare him more to Boris Diaw and, and kind of his playmaking ability. In fact, let's hear that straight from Dennis Lindsay. We, we took him with a thought that he's a very well-rounded player that's a, a good playmaker. Uh, I don't want to use uh, Boris Diaw, but there are a couple of our coaches today you know, he, he, you know, his ability to drive a gap and dish off and play unselfish basketball was very intriguing to us. Was this indicative? He he doesn't want to use Boris Diaw, <laughs> but he just he brought up Boris Diaw and and um, his his passing ability. So I, you know, I I don't know that he's going to be the best power passing power forward in in the game that I think Boris Diaw is, but um, maybe Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's a really good passer, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, I think ultimately that's kind of Lyles' path forward is by being that kind of mobile playmaking four. Well, you know, even if you think about Boris Diaw for a minute, Boris Diaw doesn't necessarily look elite if you look at a bunch of numbers. Like, you know what I mean? He's not a guy who goes out and averages eight assists a game. We think of him as elite just because he has elite vision. Yeah. He has a great mental velocity. He sees cuts before they happen. He sees angles before they're there. I think that if that's the kind of player you can get out of Trey Lyles and he's your third forward, you know, he's your third big in the rotation, then, like, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, Now, Dennis said he didn't want to make that comparison, even though he made that comparison. (laughs) So maybe we need to slow down there. Um, But but that's, you know, as over the past 24 hours, I've tried to talk myself into that pick, um, you know, given the alternatives, which I know we'll talk about. Um, that's one of those things that you say, hey, maybe if he has the ability just to see things, he doesn't need, you know, if you look at the way the Jazz roster is constructed, the Jazz don't need eight assists a game at it. They don't need him to be LeBron. No, right, yeah. He's he's not going to be your main scorer. He's not going to be, I don't think ever, he's not going to be your right. you know main go-to guy. Uh, but in terms of facilitating a team five-man offense, I think he, he really could be a big cog. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I... When I first started looking, I, I kind of thought he was somewhere between, you know, the Carlos Boozer, um, the Carlos Boozer quote unquote comp we were talking yeah. about. I also wondered if we were looking at like a Brian Cook type player, hmm. although certainly as I've watched more and as I've heard Dennis talk more, he's a lot more mobile than Brian Cook. Brian Cook yeah. was kind of that first guy. Well, not first guy, because you could go back to the 90s and talk Sam Perkins. But Brian Cook was, if you think about the last decade, he was the guy who really made the Lakers better because he was a 6'10 guy who could knock down open shots. And it was really valuable to have someone like that alongside Shaq and alongside those teams. Right. And and ultimately, I think his shooting stroke, and especially in this corner and this workout at the corner three position, kind of demonstrated his, his shooting stroke to the, to the Jazz organization much more than his 14% performance from three in, in college did. Let's hear from Lindsey. Look, we've had a little bit of success in a few places I've been on, on helping guys shoot the ball better. Uh, uh, Trey has very good touch. Uh, we did. Uh, we have a couple of shooting battery drills. I don't want to get into specifics, but 
one of the things that we did with Trey is we wanted him to shoot the corners so we could take a look at the corner three and and then we shot 40 shots and he, he made 25. Now it's a drill situation, but the ball wasn't clanking off the rim. It, it looked legitimate. Could he do this in year one? You know, that that's of argument, but I think over time uh, he could be a, a very solid corner three shooter. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if our projections are right or not. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think that's ultimately the question is if he can consistently hit that corner three, then he becomes a big asset. Uh, you know, the the comp I was given from the Jazz front office actually even before the draft happened was, was Terrence Jones and, and that kind of ability to hit the corner three, space the floor, and then also provide good defense with size. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think Lyles showed really either of those two skills in college, but I think that they think that his his – smarts and and work ethic and size allow him to come that come year two year three well and then let's go back to the post that you made on on ksl.com the night before the draft the jazz also believe in their own ability and in quinn snyder's ability to develop people so i think that that comes into play a lot here you know you're talking about a guy whose percentages don't necessarily prove that he's a, a floor spacer but they think they can get that out of him and I also heard Quinn say today, and I'm going to blow the attribution here because I can't remember if this was you, – you tell me if it was, this was during the press conference or okay. it might have been you know, something that someone tweeted after. Um, but Quinn was also talking about how um, when you're playing as a three, the, sh- the three-point shots you get often aren't open ones. You're the guy that people sort of expect to stay attached to. Yeah. So, so they feel like maybe getting him some looks at the four, maybe they'll be different types of looks and um or just having the threat of him out there opens lanes for other people which is you know obviously only going to happen if other teams respect Trey Lyles to begin with um but yeah I mean that's that's certainly the hope yeah I I I talked to Quinn Snyder after the the press conference today and kind of the differences between guarding the three and the four and that's what he said a lot is that the the uh the difference is that you have a a kind of from the weak side wing position, you don't want to move as often, right? You you don't want to have to help off of that because that's such an easy corner three. At the four position, you're helping from the high elbow, which is which is a very different sort of defensive assignment. And I think maybe by playing at the four, uh, you know, Lyles gets more room in order to make those threes. I think you know basically everyone is a better shooter than 14 percent from three um right uh, i i I mean i I think that's probably fair to say Uh, i don't expect him to be you know maybe a great asset of that that at year one but we've seen quinn snyder's ability to teach that and 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 dennis Lindsay's ability to teach that quite frankly in other scenarios in san antonio and houston so do you think sorry i'm going off script here but do you think that do you think then that they still need to go out and get a stretch big i mean like Uh, does the backup five need to be someone who can knock down 20 footers and beyond? Uh, No, because I think worst case you have Trevor Booker there. And so you can say he's your other stretch big if Trey Lyles is not ready to contribute at an NBA level. And then Favors and Gobert. And then you've got Favors and Gobert. And then, yeah, you you find a backup center, honestly, maybe Tibor Plyce, um, who can play (laughs) like a third center sort of. Sort of role who can stretch the floor out to like six feet i think yeah right, so, <laughs> right so exactly <laughs> cannot shoot at all it's not part of the shooting conversation but at least has size if you yeah. need a, a size sizable backup for for gobert and favors at, at center yeah yeah for sure i i don't know it's just it's an interesting thought because 
going into not just the draft, but going into this off season of, of, you know, potentially pivotal moves for the, on the up Utah jazz, everybody felt like, you know, they need to, they need to get improved point guard play one way or another, right? right. Internal improvement, signing trade draft, whatever they needed more shooting on the wings. How, again, however they got that and they needed, you know, bigs who were skilled and could stretch. And it feels like, you know, now kind of, not just the draft has passed, but really the big night for trades in the NBA has passed. I mean, that yeah. was part of, I guess, my disappointment might be too strong a word, but part of what I was thinking last night as I was going, oh, wow, Trey Lyles, okay, is not just that they came away with Trey Lyles. We always knew there was a chance they'd come away with Trey Lyles. It's the fact that last night was probably the best opportunity to make a uh, a major deal, right? Yeah, major no, deals happen more fair. on draft night than on January 12th. Or June, sorry, yeah, July. July 12th Thanks. or whatever. Yes. That was my little claim. But also January. <laughs> Even more so on January. So. <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, that's when kind of these big moves have happened in the past. Although, you know, we do see bigger moves happen during free agency. Draft day is when teams are, are kind of willing to move. The, the, the wheels are slick, so to speak. Yeah, or, or or when I guess there's more sort of currency floating out, if, you know, to yeah. use the, the market terms that we've talked about before. Well, let's talk about another comparison. So we brought up Terrence Jones, we brought up Boris Diaw, and then there was a third that Dennis Lindsay mentioned, which is that of Draymond Green. Uh, we can see him defensive rebound, advance the ball up, and that's that's good action because what happens when your power, or when your bigs can rebound and advance the ball up, it's a little bit like Draymond Green plays in Golden State. He can advance it. You have Steph and and Thompson that are uh, you know crossing the baseline, and it's hard uh, in a defensive situation to not get cross matched. And what you'll find out is is Trey's vision superior, his handles superior, his decision making is very safe, and so that's one example. Now, look, when I asked Quinn Snyder about this comparison after the press conference today, he, he pumped the brakes on it pretty hard. He was like, Uh-oh. you know, we're not going to play like Golden State. We're not that team. We're not going to ask Trey Lyles to be Draymond Green right away. Draymond Green's one of the best defenders and, and most versatile players in this league. So, so mommy and daddy are giving different answers. Uh-oh. Yeah. but I, I, I smell I, weakness. <laughs> but I, I see where Dennis Lindsay is coming from here with, with this playmaking thing. And uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I don't know if he becomes Draymond Green. Draymond Green wasn't Draymond Green last year, certainly. Uh, but you you can see, again, how that sort of defensive versatility uh, in fast break and transition situations, as well as the ability to bring the ball up the court, can really help a team. Yeah, I mean, this is one that, that actually made me kind of stop in my tracks, too. I think comparing someone to arguably the second-best player on a, on a championship team that you just picked up at 12 to be your rotation, your rotational big man. It felt a little bit of a stretch to me too. Um, but again, I, I think, I think the key here, well, first of all, defense, right? Like his defense is nowhere in the same, I don't know, parsec as Draymond Green. No, right. Um, Draymond Green's <clears throat> second in defensive player of the year. And Isn't Trey he Lyles. second in DRPM too? I mean, he's up. Yeah, there. He's like great. so like, by both the statistics and the the opinion of those in the league, right. he's a stellar, stellar defender. Exactly. Trey Lyles was looked at as as a weak defender coming out of college. Right. So that's the, yeah, right. And then the other thing you you say, and this goes to Quinn's point that you were just talking about. I mean, if 
if offensively Trey Lyles is going to function as the second unit's version of Draymond Green that helps sort of facilitate in the four-on-three that results from a hard trap on a pick-and-roll or whatever that looks like, then who are we expecting in that group to be the pick and roll point guard who commands that trap because <laughs> right. I don't think it's I don't think that he's there right now with all due respect to number three right because they're going underneath on on number three the other Trey Trey Burke exactly and uh, you know Trey Lyles is being heavily guarded in that sort of pick and roll and the Trey Trey pick right. and roll and even and even if Olivier Hanlon Hanlon who we haven't talked about yet even if he is like I just don't know that right now there's someone that gets the kind of attention that no. frees up Trey Lyles. To be a Draymond Green level facilitator, even if he were a great pick and roll player right away, and for a second round pick, that's wildly unfair. He's teams aren't going to give him that sort of respect as a rookie. Yeah, and I don't even necessarily think that his strength is an off the bounce three, right? Like there yeah. are things to like about Olivier. I don't think that necessarily anybody's going to confuse him for Steph Curry anytime soon. <laughs> Agreed. Sorry, that was like a total uh, straw man type of argument. Yeah. There, yeah. But. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team did win their game 1-0, by the way, so I can, I can look at you when we talk. <laughs> and I'm proud to be an American. Okay, we're not going to sing wow, that. Wow, I silenced <laughs> you. <laughs> I didn't know how to respond. The glass just broke between the... Uh, there Thank it you. is. There it is. Well, speaking of USA, I don't know why it's speaking of USA. <laughs> analytics. We're the United States of analytics. And um, <clears throat> analytics actually played a part in, in the drafting of Trey Lyles, kind of answering some of the, the questions that Dennis Lindsay and crew had about Trey Lyles, especially at, from a rebounding point of view. Let's hear what he had to say. Trey took a little bit of criticism on his, on his rebounding numbers. Uh, they were average for the power forward. But uh, our analytic people were able to take out the play-by-play. And what it showed was is when he played minutes at the four, he was an above-average rebounder as a defensive rebounder, and he was top 20 in the nation in his offensive rebounding rate when he played the four. So, we, again, getting back to some subtle hidden value, we, we dug deep. They dug deep. No, and I, I think that's worth looking at. I mean, we know that the Jazz had Kem Pomeroy in as part of their draft team, um, kind of the, the, I would say, the number one college statistics analyst out right. there. Um, and, and then you have the, the team of Bart Taylor and Taylor Snar, the, the Jazz's current analytics guys. They also had another consultant who I actually haven't figured out who is yet, but anyway. Uh, the so mystery the, math man. The, indeed, yeah, that, that Dennis Lindsay reference today. Um, I, I think basically uh, they have a lot of people on this and so that they're able to figure out, hey, you know, Trey Lyles was actually a pretty good defensive rebounder when he played the four when you know, he was close to the basket. That gives you a lot of hope. Yeah, so that's true um, with the sample size caveat. But actually, the point I would make to that without delving too deeply into, you know, rebounding at the three and rebounding at the four, I would just say that when I when I heard that level of analysis, that's what sort of reminded me that regardless of my knee-jerk reaction to player A or player B or player X or player Y, Dennis Lindsay and crew have spent months getting to, like, they know these guys infinitely better than I do. Yeah. And so it's kind of one of those, like, okay, shut up, Dan, and and trust the experts sort of moment. Um, especially because if if you're anything like me, most of my opinions by June 25th of any particular draft cycle are just derivative of other people's opinions that they've packaged up for me to right. read. Right, no, that's and, fair. You know, you know, you're reading Draft Express, you're reading, you know, right. all the other NBA.com, ESPN.com, and everything else. You're trying to get what other guys think, but really now you're looking at a second or third hand. 
when you do that sort of analysis, that's really kind of firsthand digging deep into the data and, and looking at what's there. So I, I had the same reaction to you as, as you did to that. And then Dennis Lindsay brought up this balance thing, and I was like, whoa, you know infinitely more than like I've ever even considered to like consider. So let's hear what he had to say about this, because he uses words that I had no idea existed. The Millers have been great, guys, in adding some technology to the building. And uh, one of the things that we're doing a good job of is testing for proprioception, which is just a fancy word for balance. And, and it's a very important trait, but it's something that we're not good at with a naked eye of saying he's got good balance and he, he doesn't. You know, the guys that tip over, you'll say he's got good balance, and the guys that can change direction. But it's somewhat arbitrary. We've moved past some of that arbitrary tracking to a, a very uh, fine, acute system. And uh, Trey was literally the, the best player uh, that we brought in. We brought in over 100 guys in, in proprioception. So body control, uh, when you're watching play, it, it, it made sense when we, when we were doing our testing. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, proprioception is a is a word that was added to all of our dictionaries yesterday. Um, you know, it, it's hard because I I don't want to like lose the forest for the trees here, and I think there are a lot of like small trees, so to speak, to, to like about Trey Lyles, and, and so I you know I don't want to forget overall if if he's like a bad player or something. But it is good to see that kind of at the at this core level, uh, and in terms of things like core strength and, and balance and those sort of things, that they they found out that Trey Lyles. Uh, grades well on those skills, so you know he can develop into a, a better player moving forward. He kind of has a base that you can build on. And the so what there, because I mean, when I first heard that, I you know part of me is like, well, hooray, he can hop on one foot. Like, let's give him a brownie button sort of thing. But I think the the reason why that matters is because you know you don't NBA players don't often finish a play the way they do in the layup line, right? Like right. the NBA game and the speed of it and and athletic guys coming at your body requires you to sometimes twist and contort and lean and still get the shot up so i think that's why it's important and that's why you know hey look all these all these are reasons to to give um you know it's it's okay as fans to have questions i certainly still have questions but now i'm sort of more open to you know let's see what this guy shows us um at summer league at fall camp and beyond yeah all right so summer league is less than two weeks away which is kind of crazy um, we'll we'll definitely have a chance to be able to watch Lyles, Olivier Hanlon, and the rest of rest of the Jazz in the in the Utah Jazz Summer League. We're gonna go ahead and take a break, but on the other side, we're gonna be talking about kind of the other options for the Jazz. So we've we've talked about what Trey Lyles are, but you know what could they have done? What were the options in terms of trading up, trading down, even trading out of the first round of this year's draft? We'll talk about you know if if they made the right move yesterday. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN seven hundred. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson with you as always. I'm the managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. Dan Clayton joins us, not Ben Dowsett or Ben Clayton. Or Ben Clayton. Any of the above. Uh, Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer, former radio voice, uh, Spanish radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He's not David Locke either. I should say. Nope. Nope. I'm none of those <laughs> none people. None of those people. Just, just boring old Dan Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we, we got a tweet from our friends in Australia. By the way, it's so cool that like there's this Australian contingent that follows the jazz now because of Dante Exum and Joe Ingles. And I don't even know what time it is in Australia, but that they're up right now listening to the show is, is cool to hear. It's 1130. Like, yeah, so, you know, they should be awake. That's good. Right. Um, and, and now we're going to have the Canadian contingent, you know, tagging along because yeah. of Lyles and, and, and Hanlon. So. Exactly. You know, do you want me to break out with O Canada? I already did. <laughs> we can, Proud to be an American. Every I segment, mean, we should have you seeing at least some one patriotic number line. from some place around the <laughs> earth. Yes. Nah. Well, I think that's that's reasonable. Do you know the Spanish national anthem off the top of your head? Uh, I don't. I hmm. don't. I mean, it might be Viva España. Okay. But I don't know the words to that well, either. So next break, that's your that's your homework <laughs> assignment. Actually, please don't. Uh, Adam Raluski, I don't know actually how you say that. Adam, you may have to clarify that for us. Says, by the way, guys, just if you don't know, Quinn Cook signed with the Thunder. So, Quinn Cook, not a uh, possibility for the Jazz Summer League, which makes sense because the Jazz have like infinite point guards to bring into the Summer League. So, there will only be one Quinn. Yes. At the moment. <laughs> uh, but two trays, uh, two Burks, of course, next year. Right, on the, roster. the Burks brothers. Uh, and Booker. Trevor Booker, right. presumably. Presumably. But and an Olivier. Really it's all presumable at this point. That's isn't true. It? Like we there are there are a certain number of quote unquote untouchable pieces. Right. But they might trade, you know, Dante Axum for <clears throat> Damian Lillard, and that would be awesome. Right. <laughs> Weaver State product. <laughs> I'm, I'm represent still, Ogden. Yes, I'm still uh, on that bandwagon now that uh, I think it was Peter Novak who brought it up first. Was like really? maybe if maybe if the Trailblazers are Boiling blowing it, it all up, we could get Lillard. Well, that's not a real option. I mean, crazier things have happened, I, but not many crazier things. Like, yeah, one or two crazier things happened. <laughs> anyway, we we wanted to talk this segment about kind of the Jazz's options around number 12. And I think a lot of people were at least a little bit disappointed that none of the drama happened last night. You know, they <laughs> they just stayed at number 12. They sold the number 54 pick for cash. That's not fun. You know, like. But they didn't trade up. They didn't trade down. They didn't get kind of any of the players that, that we've talked about on the show. And and so I kind of wanted to bring up kind of what happened around number 12. And I think a lot of it started with the falling of Justice Winslow because yeah. there were a lot of teams that really liked Justice Winslow, including, by the way, the Utah Jazz. They they had him very high up on their draft boards. They felt that it was worth giving up a lot in order to acquire Justice Winslow. So then they they started to talk to these teams at eight and especially number nine as, as possible trade down candidates, uh, and honestly, just like the the haul needed was was just ridiculous in my mind. I mean, there's a report today out of Boston that they tried to give up six picks in order to uh, trade up to number nine. That's uh, to me absurd. You you take that deal if you're Charlotte, right? Including four potential first round picks because of the protections. It's possible not all of them would have panned out as first round picks, but six picks, including as many as four first rounders. For Frank Kaminsky, uh, you know, for I mean, I guess obviously they wouldn't have taken Frank Kaminsky. Uh, Boston wouldn't have. They would have taken Winslow. But it, it just seems like Charlotte has to like Frank Kaminsky so much and has to be so sure that he's going to be an excellent player to give up to not move down or out. It, it just seems kind of silly of them. So I, I, and honestly, there's no package that the Jazz could have put together that doesn't include, say, Derek Favors, Dante Exum, Rudy Gobert, Gordon Hayward, that could have beaten six picks, including four first-round picks. Because quite frankly, they don't have those picks to trade. Uh, okay, fair. Although that was the price ostensibly to move from 16th to 9th. The Jazz's yeah, okay. jump would have been a shorter jump. So 
maybe it would have been, you know, less. Maybe there's a player on the Jazz's roster who is dispensable in the eyes of Dennis Lindsay who the Celtics would have been interested in. Maybe not. Ooh. Not the Celtics, but the, the Hornets. Oh, sorry, the Hornets. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, that's know. the thing is, as you look down this roster and there's no like middling talent that has middling, uh, I guess, trade value. Because to me, it's sure. either like Rudy Gobert, Gordon, Fa- Gordon Hayward or Derek Favors, kind of a lot of trade value sort of guys. Or it's guys like Alec Burks, who has, you know, four years, 48 million, what, 44 million dollars moving I forward. Thought, yeah. 40, OK, fair enough. Uh, and was injured last year and not particularly good. So I, I think he's ultimately maybe a zero kind of trade value guy. Trey Burke doesn't have any trade value. Uh, Trevor Booker has some trade value, but he's not getting you from 12 to 9. I mean, I, you know what I mean? It's it's To me, there's not that much that they can give up in terms of players. Well, mostly, I guess, what I disagree with, and I've, and I've had it out with even some of our own people, like Aaron Hefner and I have talked about the Alec Burks thing at great length. And gone pu- to blows. Publicly and in DMs, and yeah, we've... We, we met halfway between Brooklyn and Austin, Texas, <laughs> and like just fought on the side of the freeway. Um, I I do not Temecula. agree. I do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's meet in Temecula. I do not believe that Alec Burks's trade value right now is zero. Hmm. Okay. Um, Tell me, because I I, okay. I think he I think it is pretty zeroy. I think that he signed a four year, forty two million dollar extension because he's a promising player. Yeah. I think that other teams. Could imagine him being a 15 to 20 point scorer in their systems. I think that one off year when he only played 27 games and he played those games without being able to lift his arms, literally could not lift his arms above his head. I think GMs would give him a little bit of, in other words, I think that, I think that there are some GMs that already were in love with him. All right. We're getting some, uh, we're getting some party music from down the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some GMs that maybe already liked him before the injury that would say, hey, maybe now is my opportunity to strike and get him because he did only play 27 games, and it was a step backwards, at least statistically. So I, I just think, I don't think it should be ruled out that there's a team somewhere that still has Alec Burks on their list of intriguing options. Not like okay. a, I'm going to go get that guy no matter what, but I think there are some teams out there that would be like, oh, Alec Burks is gettable? And I, even, I don't think I don't know that he's like at that level. To me, I don't think you know it doesn't surprise you or I that Alec Burks would be available in, in trades because of how well the Jazz played without him at the end of the year. Um, yeah, no, I'm not saying that they would be surprised that like, oh my heck, we can. I'm getting back in Utah, today, by the way, <laughs> so that's the oh my heck. Good. Um, oh my heck, we can get tra- Alec Burks. Like that's of course you can get Alec Burks. Like Alec Burks is not an untouchable player. I just mean the fact that like the fact that his value might be slightly diminished right now might represent for some people an opportunity and not like a, Oh, he's radioactive. You better stay away from him. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. I I wonder though, if that's kind of the local optimism and, and knowing what Alec Burks can do, kind of seeing those flashes night in and night out. When you look at the stats and you kind of look at say like RPM, for example, which doesn't really treat Alec Burks that well. Right. um, You, you look at, kind of his is at least kind of scouting value around the league to me it doesn't reflect that and especially in a draft situation where you have to kind of trade these names so quickly with so many different teams i i wonder if they have time to do that sort of analysis that you just looked at yeah that's fair i mean uh, other other than that you know there's a finite number of 
guys in the NBA and certainly an even more finite yeah. number of, um, you know, like potentially starter quality. Although I think, and Kevin Pelton thinks, and a lot of stat heads think that Alec Burks probably projects more to be like a Jamal Crawford type who he could be a really good sixth or seventh man on a great team. And probably if he's starting on your team, you're not a championship contender, but I, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, anyway, I know we've yeah. strayed from the point, but I guess I'm just saying like, we don't know if there's somebody who still has some mild interest in Alec Burks. We don't know if there's somebody who still has some mild interest in Trey Burke, who is only two years removed from being the college player of the year. Sure, but then, I mean, he's also has a lot of shots that show that he's not a very good shooter. I mean, to me, I, I, I almost kind of err on the side of, of underestimating our own guy's trade value because I think so many fans tend to overinflate that. Um, and and I think that the Jazz didn't make a trade yesterday, even though you're right, kind of Justice Winslow was, was kind of almost in, in their grasp, so to speak, uh, kind of reflects that maybe those players don't have the trade value that we would hope. Well, and apparently Chad Ford was saying that if Moutier was not available to Denver at seven, mm-hmm. that Denver was going to trade back to get Cameron Payne. Wow. And so that's a situation where you're saying, like, that there was there would have been another opportunity right there for the Jazz to trade up. The Jazz weren't going to be able to trade up with Denver because Denver was stoked that the guy they wanted, their first choice, fell to them. Um but you know there are a lot of alternate realities yeah. in which somebody is somebody is willing to serve up Justice Winslow to the Jazz on a platter, and just none of them panned out. The other option that Dennis Lindsay talked about today was trading out of this draft and maybe trading it for multiple future first or trading it for a first and a player. Let's go ahead and hear what he had to say about that in, in his press conference. There were a lot of options. Look, we had we had. Uh, uh, multiple teams that were presenting us multiple first to move into 12th. And what it did is it uh, validated the value that we felt that was there. I think some people may have thought that I was playing games when I said this. We felt like this was the sweet spot in the draft. There were good players available to us. Yeah, so multiple teams with multiple firsts offered for number 12. I, I think that's probably true, although I think probably some of those are late firsts. And maybe those don't have the value that that Dennis Lindsay wanted. You know, I, I don't know that they were in love, love with Trey Lyles, although they clearly liked him. Obviously, Winslow would have been the, the better um, prospect. But uh, in the end, if if they weren't getting a lot of great value, um, you know, trading out becomes a little bit difficult. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, that's the other thing is is when you look at the guys that went after the Jazz that they could have potentially traded back to get. There's nobody that I guess really makes my toes tingle that much more than Trey Lyles makes my toes tingle. Either. Yeah. Like you mentioned Devin Booker. I was even less sold on Devin Booker going into the draft than I was on Trey Lyles because I think he's just a shooter full stop. And I think, you know, at six, six without a particularly quick release and without real athleticism, I think he may even struggle to get his shot off in the NBA. Um, you know, RJ Hunter, intrigued me and intrigued a lot of people who wound up, but wound up falling all the way to 28th. Right. So I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I look at, you know, were there really some trade back options and I'm not sure what the jazz would have done that would have really changed my perception of the outcome of the draft. Let me ask you if they do 12 for 16 and 28 and get RJ Hunter at 28 and get say Bobby Portis at 16, is that a better draft in your mind? Ooh, that's a good one. I think it probably is for yeah, me. Yeah, probably. It probably would have been 
just because of the the value of of um you know picks and yeah. trades that I've talked that I've written about and Kevin Pelton has written about. I think it would probably be like six uh twelve and forty two for sixteen and twenty eight, but I still think that's yeah that's probably better than what they you end up with rj hunter instead of hanlon which i I think is a sizable upgrade right now we don't know because right because they're speculating right the big thing on this is like you have to predict human behavior and you have to predict a will to get better and you have to predict some of these things that don't show up on stat sheets so you know who knows like rj hunter could wind up being the bust of the draft trey lyles could wind up being the bust of the draft we don't know yet and um that's the next fun part is getting to figure all that out yay we have you know, years and years to figure that right. out. All right. Well, we got to take a break. On the other side, we talk about kind of we go around the NBA a little bit. The other trades that happened in, in the NBA last night on draft day. Kind of break them down and give quick grades to those. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops Show. Andy Larson, Dan Clayton with you. Uh, Salt City Hoops writers. Check out saltcityhoops.com, by the way, if you haven't already. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz, and we, we write about basketball. That's kind of our thing. Which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I also write for ksl.com, by the way. So, you know, if you don't go to ksl.com every day anyway to buy whatever you want on Classified, check that site out, too. All right. We wanted to break down some NBA trades, and we've got a short segment here, so let's let's get through as many as we can. Uh, maybe the first trade that happened in this draft cycle that really kind of made a difference was this Gerald Henderson and Noah Vonley trade for Nicholas Batum. So Trailblazers get Gerald Henderson and Noah Vonley, last year's number nine pick uh, from Charlotte. Charlotte gets Nicholas Batum, who has a year left on his contract. What do you think of this deal? Well, it's got to be, from a Portland perspective, that trade has got to be about Vonley. Um, you know, an intriguing prospect out of the University of Indiana. Didn't really put it together in his rookie year. But uh, Batum to Henderson, that's a downgrade yeah. on the wing. So, like, the the only reason why this makes sense for Portland is because they're apparently saying, hey, LaMarcus Aldridge may leave. We need to start over. We need to stock up on young, intriguing talent. And Von Lee's that type of guy. So even though we have no idea if he's ever going to be any good in the NBA, we're going to you know, take a downgrade to go get him. And I thought it was interesting that they then acquired Miles Plumlee in a trade we'll talk about later. So now you've got kind of the the kind of current center yeah. p- big man replacement for LaMarcus Aldridge and maybe the future one that you hope that can shoot a little bit and, and maybe, I don't think there's any chance Vonley is as good as Aldridge is ever, uh, but maybe approximates that sort of output. Yeah, Vonley, Vonley had a rough year. Um, in fact, one of my... One of my colleagues in New York is a big IU follower. He he's a he's a Hoosier. He like he's as into the Hoosiers as we are into the Jazz. So um, you know I've kept an eye on Vonley through him, and it was just it was a rough start for Vonley, and and hopefully he'll turn that around. And obviously that's what the Blazers are banking on. Luke Ridenour has been traded three hours in the la- or three times in the last forty eight hours, <laughs> three times really in twenty six hours yesterday mid morning on Wednesday. The Magic traded him to uh, the Grizzlies for a European prospect. Uh, then the Grizzly traded him to the Hornets for Matt Barnes, and then the Hornets then took Luke Ridenour and traded him to the Thunder for Jeremy Lamb. So, A, that's kind of awesome for, I mean, maybe not awesome for Luke Ridenour, but kind of fun at least. He's he's setting records, let's put it that way. Um, what, do you, what do you make of those trades individually, especially kind of the impactful ones, Matt Barnes going to Memphis and Jeremy Lamb going to Charlotte? Um, yeah, Matt Barnes going to Memphis is interesting. I mean, that... that uh definitely makes Memphis better. I, I think one of the things they lacked was a little bit more perimeter shooting. 
Um, Matt Barnes is a little bit of a crazy person, but he's a crazy person <laughs> who can hit open shots. Yeah, I think he's a little bit underrated because he's crazy. Like he's yeah. a very good three and D player in this league. I, you know, he's old. He's thirty five, so you worry about slippage maybe. But if he's as good as he was last year, he really helps the Grizzlies in a way they don't have uh, in a in a way they don't have that sort of skills on their roster right now. Um, and then the the Thunder giving up on Jeremy Lamb is another interesting wrinkle on this trade. Was the main piece of the James Harden deal, and it just hasn't gone well. Right, and and now if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ridnour is part of the allure here, and why he's bounced around is because it's a partially guaranteed contract. Right. Um. So so if you say to yourself like, wow, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Thunder were willing to give up on Jeremy Lamb for just a non-guaranteed contract that could save them some money like that and a second round pick like, right exactly like meh. i mean that's what happens with some of these intriguing guys i mean like how long ago was it that jeremy lamb was coming in in the draft and everybody was salivating all over themselves about jeremy lamb and now he's a guy who's like oh it's not coming together so a second round pick and some guy that we don't have to pay i mean tim hardaway got a first round pick yesterday tim hardaway jr he's not like a crazy impact player in this league and yet somehow he got a first like that's that's jeremy lamb has fallen a long way a first round pick by the way that could have in another alternate universe been kelly Oubre. Yeah. So, I mean, like... Right, that, because they traded down for two second-round picks there, right. which is a deal I don't understand from Atlanta's perspective at all. Yeah, I guess we'll talk more about the Atlanta <laughs> trade. But. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a later segment. So, coming up next on, on the Salt City Hoops show, we talk about free agency from more from Dennis Lindsay. That's coming up next, Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. SaltCityHoops.com. I, I bring it in the same way every time. Dan Clayton, writer for SaltCityHoops.com. So, we've talked about the draft... Trey Lyles is a pick at number 12. Olivier Hanlon also brought in at number 44. Number, or sorry, number 42. Number 54 traded to Portland for cash considerations. Basically, by the way, the reasoning there is kind of they spent so much money on bringing in 101 players, hiring like five new people on the staff over the last, you know, month and, and really kind of moving forward that they felt really there was no one they liked at number 54. No one's going to make the NBA. Might as well just take the money, use it later, maybe trade it for a pick down the road. Um, but the end of this year's draft was really, really, really barren. Um, we heard Fran Fraschilla call it last night. It's warm body time <laughs> around pick four, like 45. So 54 was, was even more so. It was not even all that warm body time. Yeah, it was, it was like... <laughs> Tepid body. Yeah, <laughs> not good. The dying were, were being picked at the end of last night's second round. And, you know, somewhere there'll be like a Wesley Matthews or someone that, that ends up ruling the world. But anyway, moving forward, though, we're only actually four days away from free agency. And this, this um, free, agent, free agency negotiation period to begin on July 1st, then the, the moratorium kind of when you can start signing contracts, I believe is on July 9th this year. So... Uh, you know, we're we're really almost in the thick of things in, in terms of free agency. Um, I, I asked Dennis Lindsay about this yesterday. You know, what is it that you do in these next few days in order to prepare for it? And while at first he kind of joked about, I, well, first of all, I'm going to see my family again after the draft. I thought he had a couple of different interesting insights about this. Let's go ahead and play the quote. We'll we'll start uh, putting our summer league team together. That has started right now with uh, David Fredman and Justin Zanuck's leadership. We obviously have a framework. Alex Jensen will coach the first part of the summer league. Mike Wells will, will coach the, the second part. 
then we'll quickly move in. We, we've been able to integrate some of our conversations relative to the draft and overall personnel with free agency uh, needs and, and conversations. So we have uh, an in interesting uh, few weeks ahead of us relative to just how much room we have and we'll go like we mentioned before guys and tell our story and see if there's a potential marriage at a high level at, at, a, at, a, at a, um, a medium level if you will in, in, in our free agency tiering system and then a lower level and and uh, the good news is is we feel like we can field a high functioning team if we didn't make any changes we've been really excited about our players commitment to uh, their summer efforts we've had six in the gym the last week. Uh, again, the Miller's commitment to improving the facility and adding personnel so there's a, a good safe haven for our players to work and play is, is paying off in spades. So, um, so uh, we'll give, we actually are giving our players off a few days here that are in town and we're gonna go chase some guys who are out of town. And then as you would imagine, uh, Quinn and I and the rest of the staff will or jump knee deep into free agency. So you'll notice that when he when we you ask him about free agency, the first thing he brings up is kind of he wants to focus on the development of the players that are currently on the roster. Uh, you know, and he talks about that safe haven that Zion's Bank Basketball Center is to kind of work out and, and improve their games. Um, I asked him about that today, and he said that that was almost kind of a tactic to lower expectations a little bit amongst the fan base, which I think makes some sense. You know. They don't know for sure if they're going to be getting an impact player in free agency. It, it's hard to know because that depends on someone else, you know, kind of choosing to move to Utah and, and become a member of the Jazz. They don't know kind of what the personality is of those players. They don't know what the, the marketplace is going to be. It may be, it end up being that they strike out and they kind of want the fans to be pleasantly surprised if they do get an impact player. But that being said, I thought it was interesting that uh, they have a tier system along the lines of the, the one they use in the draft. In, in free agency, kind of these high-tier, middle-tier, and low-tier players that they may want to add and, and spend resources towards. Yeah, I mean, so so first of all, I think it, it is interesting that he said he was doing that to temper fan expectations, um, you know, lo lower the bar, as it were. Um, I, I think, to your point, they don't know what they're going to be able to get in free agency. And to what we were talking about earlier, I think getting an impact player on July 1st is actually harder than getting an impact player would have been on June 25th because mm -hmm. now you have to go sell the guy on, you know, come to Utah, set up here, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the other way, you just have to convince another team that they're getting a good return on assets. Um, so I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm looking at the list of free agents and, and uh, I'm, I'm not seeing... I'm not seeing that guy that makes me go, oh, he's a definite upgrade over what the Jazz have at that spot. Yeah, no, I and I that's, don't really. It's legitimately see, gettable, by the way. That's the thing. It's like I, you know, I I would love to sign, say, you know, Paul Millsap or, or Chris Middleton or or Danny Green, and and I think those guys would add a lot to the Jazz's roster. But then you worry about whether or not that those are starters really on this Jazz team because of how good Gordon Hayward are is because of how good Alec Burks is, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert. I mean, there's not really a, a starting level spot for those high tier guys to really move into. Um, I do want to say, kind of on a related note, that that Paul Millsap isn't going to happen. I, I I mean I I think it's fair, and it's been reported by a lot of people I trust and and really do have good sources. 
I have sources saying the opposite, but regardless, I don't, you know, and even ignoring the sources, if you just like use your brain for a it second, doesn't make sense. At it this doesn't point. make any sense at all, <laughs> especially given now you've drafted Trey Lyles. Yeah. So now you're looking at Paul Millsap being in a even more crowded backcourt alongside Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. What I've been told is, look, sure, we're going to call Paul Millsap day one. We're going to call like 50 free agents on day one and register our interest. But Paul Millsap would kind of have to be stupid in order to sign with the Utah Jazz. He would have to like love his brother more than life itself and just <laughs> want to hang out with Elijah Millsap all the time. And, you know, maybe he's that kind of guy, but he probably isn't. He's probably a kind of guy who likes money more um, and staying in Atlanta and winning and, and playing et cetera, for a title and playing for a title yeah. and all these other things that are really great about his current situation. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. My least favorite game that people play at the end of June is, oh, t- this team drafted that guy late in the first round, and therefore their established star is now expendable, and their, and you know this free agent target is now off their <laughs> list because they drafted RJ Hunter at 28. I was or, asked today about Olivier Hanlon and whether or not that that meant that they were trading Trey Burke at number No, he's a second doesn't. round pick. It doesn't matter. It, you know, he's now, a guy that they kind of like. That doesn't mean that the Jazz aren't looking at trading Trey Burke and it doesn't mean that they were weren't looking at that before the draft. Not that I know anything other than, you know, it's been reported that DJ, uh, sorry, I was calling him DJ because that's his Twitter handle. Oh. Jody Genesee was actually reported that the Jazz have looked at trading Trey Burke. Um, but that certainly didn't change because they got a guy at 42 who may or may not make the league, right? right? So so from through that lens, I don't want to be the crazy guy that's like, oh, Trey Lyles just made Paul Millsap you know, completely redundant. No, what makes Paul Millsap completely redundant is that Derek Favors is playing pretty darn near all-star basketball like his his leap that he made last year put him like on the cusp of if the jazz had won 45 games he probably would have gone to the all-star game that's how good Derek favors was last year rudy gobert has proven himself maybe proven himself as a little strong but rudy gobert has emerged as a potential franchise changer on the defensive end like that's why the paul Millsap rumor just doesn't make a lot of sense (laughs) to me with or without trey lyles in the picture or or Bobby Portis, or you know whoever. Um, yeah, I I would be shocked to see the Paul Millsap thing get any more serious than like the obligatory phone call. Yeah, no, I I agree, and it it just doesn't make sense from from their point of view, and and really in a lot of ways from the Jazz's point of view. Um, so I I I mean I know that because we're having this conversation, we're continuing the conversation, <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that it's worth focusing your free agent attention on some of the other guys in this year's free agency pool. And I think there are some interesting names, especially those that can add both shooting and size to the Jazz. Or I, I guess they're separately, I would say. So I would say that there are guys who can add shooting, guys like Danny Green, guys like Marco Bellinelli, and then there are guys who can add size. There are a lot of nice centers in this year's draft, from like an Omer Ashik to Costa Kufis. Uh, it's just kind of there's... A, there's some kind of that mid-level talent, I guess, Dennis Lindsay would describe it as, that, that might be available. And and by the way, I think that's why you tier, and that's why you tier your own guys, because then you wind up with questions like the one you mentioned a minute ago. Is Danny Green a better starter on our team than Alec Burks? Like, that's what Dennis Lindsay is going to be asking himself. Is Costa Kufus a better backup center for the Utah Jazz than Tibor Pleiss. Like, you have to have those yes. decisions sort of made. Okay, that one's easy. <laughs> um, 
that one's easy. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that those are the types of decisions that you have to be made, ready to make in kind of quick order because if you're going to go get Danny Green for, I don't know what it's going to take, he's unrestricted and not restricted, so at least you don't have to like right pay him exorbitantly you're- to get him away from San Antonio, but you still have to get him away from other bidders. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think that that's why tiering is important. And, um, and, and I, I do think that there are several rotational spots on the jazz that could be upgraded today. I thought it was interesting how the jazz signed free agents and, and Dennis talked about the, the process that they used last year to, to sign Trevor Booker. Like they get a pen out. Yeah. They get a contract. A, a contract. <laughs> they, they call the league, let them know. <laughs> eventually sign, you know, put out a PR. No, it's not that. Uh, but just like how it is that they're, they meet with these guys and kind of to lure them into the Utah Jazz. Lure is a weird word, but just to be like, hey, you know, this is what we have to offer. And he's got this, he told the story of Trevor Booker last year, really the Jazz's only big free agent signing last year, um, and, and what that process was like. I don't mind sharing this about Trevor Booker uh, last year. He came to Vegas, we visited uh, we didn't pull out balloons and pom-poms. It was a real simple conversation that he and Quinn and Justin and I had over breakfast. And we wanted to undersell but yet over-deliver and, and understand that he was part of the group. And, and Trevor, through the conversation, you just knew. He just got it. Body language, glad that we, we told him the truth. And, and so, and we're like, hey, if you if you earn minutes and opportunity, and it's better than what we sell, then you know, good for you. Uh, but we didn't want to get to a situation where, especially with the talented young bigs that we had, that we were making promises. And I think uh, because Trevor handled that conversation, in our opinion, the right way, we were able to, able to move forward in a very aggressive way. Uh, with relative to his contract and you know took some criticism but we were okay with that because we were really confident that uh, he could help us Uh, so we'll you know maybe we'll have a few more of those type of conversations to me that shows kind of both the strengths and weaknesses of the jazz's free agency approach like you're not going to get the guys who are impressed with balloons and pom-poms because quite frankly you're not throwing them you're not you're not going to be getting the guys who need minutes per game as, as part of their thing, as part of an assurance in order to sign with Utah because the Jazz have too many other players. You know, they don't want to be hamstrung later on if it turns out Rodney Hood is better than Danny Green, let's say, or, or Marco Bellinelli, and, and Bellinelli ends up with 20 minutes a game. But they do have all these assets. You can, you can sell them as, as, as part of a, a growing core, and, and that does appeal to a lot of players. You look at, say, David West signing with Indiana a couple of years ago, as as kind of a final piece that moves someone from a uh, also ran to a playoff contender. Yeah, but David, so I agree with you in principle, but okay. I have a couple of minor beefs with what you just said. And one of them is like David West was not just a guy who was okay coming off the bench and playing 18 minutes a no. night. David West was an all-star and right. he came to Indiana and kept being an all-star and he took them to the next level by being an all-star, not okay. by being a bit player. The other thing I would say, I lost the other thing I was going to say, but I, I just think that you're right. It's not the it's not the same. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, here it is. There are players that the Jazz may or may not be able to sign. We, I don't know who who would absolutely be able to come here and take over someone's starting position. I mean, like yeah. the Jazz. The Jazz won thirty some odd games. There are 
spots that could be upgraded. Now, they also trended positively at the end of the year, and they also have a lot of promise, and they have you know two or three guys who have really taken it to the next level, plus Exum, who we all expect will at some point. So I'm not here saying that, like, oh, the Jazz have a crap roster and they could just upgrade every. I'm just saying that selectively you could find a way to make a pitch to what Dennis always says is the right guy. If the right guy wants to say yes, we will make room for him on our roster, yeah. on our cap sheet, and on our you know rotational outline. So who are, who are those right guys then? I know that's kind of out of the blue, but you're not going to get like Jimmy Butler. That's, right. That was another rumor that was, you know, was ridiculous. Yeah, why? But like, <laughs> Chicago's keeping him literally uh, exactly. no matter what. Right. Like Jimmy Butler could pull an Eric Gordon and they would still keep him. Right. Sources, the Jazz like LeBron James. <laughs> the Jazz would, would let LeBron available. James cash their paycheck. <laughs> this is a hot take. This is coming in, you know, live right now. Yeah, no, I don't, I mean, like honestly... Danny Green is a starting shooting guard on a championship team 12 months ago. Like, yeah. doesn't isn't he someone who, as of today, you would pencil in over Alec Burks and Rodney Hood? Yeah, I would. Absolutely. And you know? do you make room then for, for Danny Green? Do you trade Alec Burks, which I don't really agree that he has a lot of trade value? Um, <laughs> or, you know, do you trade Rodney Hood? Because they, they love Rodney Hood and think after one season of, of pretty good play, they think he can become something. I mean, that to me, it, it's almost kind of a timing issue where... Some of yeah. these young guys, you're not sure of of whether or not they're going to be good players yet, or you know, you're not sure if they're going to be the Derek Favors or Ennis Cantors yet. You have to have keepers a, or or guys you trade and and let go. Yeah, I think that you at this point you have to have a really good feel for the ceilings of your own players, knowing that that's not an exact science. There's not an encyclopedia that you can open up and look up what is you know how good is Rodney Hood going to be in 2019. Right. You have to guess to some degree. Now, the Jazz know more about that than anyone else do because they see him put in the hours, they see him show up at the practice facility, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to be able to answer those questions. And, you know, we've said this over and over again, but the the spot where the Jazz are, like, look, tearing down a team to go into rebuilding mode, that's the easy part of being a GM, Yeah. right? Like. Anybody can strip down a roster. No offense, Dennis. We love you, Dennis. But like that's the easy part. Yeah, no, it is. The tough part is now building it back up. And building it back up requires tough decisions. Like at some point, the Jazz will have to make a tough decision. I don't know if that tough decision will be Alec Burks. Well, it was Ennis Cantor. I, would, I mean, uh, maybe sure. a little bit. I, I think that one was made less tough by the fact that Ennis Cantor wasn't bought in. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean... That's a good example of what I'm saying. Like at some point, not everybody that we that that we're emotionally committed to as fans and followers is going to be a part of the program forever. And and that's what I mean. Like that's the hard part. And that's where a guy like Dennis Lindsay gets to make his millions and really show how smart he is, even if we don't necessarily agree with what he does when he does it. So you, would you rather see a big splash, you know, someone like a Danny Green, Chris Middleton type, or would you rather see kind of two smaller splashes, let's say Marco Bellinelli and Costa Kufis? Well, I'm going to give like the totally spineless answer that Dennis Lindsay always gives. And that's like, it depends on if he fits the program. Like if it's someone that fits the right profile, then absolutely, you know, I would back up a Brinks truck. Um, I would I would also be totally happy with Marco Bellinelli and Costa Kufas. Like that would be a fine off season from where I sit. Let me ask you specifically. Okay. Danny Green or Bellinelli 
Flash. Oh, punches. Danny Green. Okay. I, and and to me, it all comes back to tears. Like if you have a chance to get, I don't know what to. I, you know, we can make up the tiers. You know, yeah. ourselves. We can figure out what the definition is of tier one and tier two and tier three. But if you have ten guys that are all tier three, and you have a chance to get three guys that are tier two, you go do it. I'm not saying that the Jazz don't have some really high tiered guys. No, I understand. But uh, but yeah, I, I think. I think if you have a chance to get a guy whose ceiling is impact player, um, you know, you do it and you figure out what that means later. Yeah. And to a I, degree. And I think there's always kind of going to be value in having trading the, the two quarters for a, a dollar sort of trade. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's really kind of what Danny Green is, but you know, there's more value in one great player than two good average ish players. Exactly. Um, and, and ultimately, Maybe the Jazz can add one of those in free agency. If they can't, I won't be surprised at all. And again, Dennis Lindsay is trying to like temper expectations <laughs> here. But you know, someone like Danny Green strikes me as someone who doesn't need the Brinks truck backed up to him, doesn't need the balloons, etc., doesn't need promises of playing time because he's been on that in the Spurs organization, knows kind of what it takes to win, knows what being on a roster with uh, as a complementary piece looks like. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, having said that, we do live in a day and age where you know teams put together multimedia presentations for their free agent recruits yeah. and they put Gordon Hayward's name up on the um, marquee outside of the arena in Charlotte. I mean, like, you know, bottom the very best in like hot. What was it? Like hot tamales or like yeah, it, something like that. Lifesavers or something. What was his favorite candy? Now I can't I, remember. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to look it up because it's important, but go ahead with your point. Or like we're flying in Kobe steaks to, <laughs> to feed you. They've been yeah. grass fed and you know, whatever. So um, but to your point, Danny Green has never been through that. Like Danny Green was a scrap heap pickup when the Spurs signed him. Like he's never been a free agent that has experienced, you know, people putting together like video montages and photoshopping his jersey on, um, you know, their jersey on his torso. So, um, you know, maybe that kind of stuff would would flatter him. But I like that the Jazz are going after guys that just want to get their lunch pail and go to work. Watermelon Sour Patch is what the Charlotte Hornets wow. gave to Gordon Hayward. And it worked. It did work. Like he signed the deal, and honestly, like there, it does kind of hurt the Jazz that he has that player out after three years. Like, that's, yeah. it's kind of a bummer. But so, did the watermelon sour patches work, or were there sixty-three million other things that worked? And that's, <laughs> and that's why that you was... can buy so much watermelon yeah. sour patch. With. We're gonna break down your yearly salary in terms <laughs> of the number of watermelon sour patches you could buy in bulk at winco i also wonder what breakfast they bought for trevor booker right like they they said that it was quinn justin zanuck dennis Lindsay, and booker taking all just four guys out to breakfast in vegas but like, in vegas like, where are they some go- nice <laughs> breakfast places in vegas <laughs> they could be anywhere <laughs> i i love that story just like you know trevor's in vegas i think his little brother played for a summer league team right um and and so they're just like hey you know we might be interested in signing you Wanna? Can we take you to breakfast? Is is that all right? Can right. we talk about this? And you know, it worked out. So I don't know. I, I think that's cool. It, it, while watermelon sour patch, I think makes for a better story. Maybe just because of that detail. I'm trying um, to remember what it was that Greg Ostertag shared with me one year on his birthday. Oh, the the locker room guys, 
the basketball ops kids that work in the locker room, yeah. they had brought him Swedish fish for his birthday, and, and hmm. he shared it with me after a game. See, and I wonder if a, it's just like moment. the candy that's available at um, <laughs> the concession stands, because both watermelon sour patch and Swedish fish are like two of the, the only three or four options that you can really buy at a concession stand. Rich Cho was like, crap, his car's pulling up. <laughs> Go raid the concession stand. Yeah. It's, it's like that or the junior mints. So that's, you know, 50-50. Right. I, anyway. Well, good thing he good <laughs> thing he's into sour candies because uh, you know they were able to get his his uh, yeah that's why he didn't sign with Indiana sheet. right that, or who was the other team he interviewed Cleveland, Cleveland. that's right yeah um, that's why he didn't sign with Cleveland just because they brought out the junior mints right uh, do you see any other targets you like in free agency that you know any players that come to mind that you think that are those sort of fits on the Jazz roster. Oh man, I totally should have anticipated that question and and looked at the list a little bit better. I mean, um, to me, it, the thing is, there's been some interesting opt outs. But yeah. again, like, do you really go chase David West when like you pretty much have already committed 96 minutes at the two big spots? Right. Um, I would say that there's some interest. I'm not interested in Monte Ellis. Speaking of opt outs, no. Um, for a number of reasons, but. Not Rajon Rondo. I, I, I mean, I, I almost kind of am more interested in these kind of mid-tier players just because I do think they're almost more realistic. Someone like a Kyle Singler, someone like a Bellinelli, someone like a Gigi Datome. Um, I guess the one spot where you could talk me into, um, you know, getting excited about a, a marquee signing, quote-unquote, would be a, a scoring or shooting wing. Um but I'm not. But I'm not sure that that guy is out there in tier one of free agency either. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's a, it's a funny year. the The thing that the thing that's too bad about it is that this is really the last year where the Jazz's cap situation will really be an advantage for them. Right. Starting next year, it's like you know, who it cares matter. about your cap space? It doesn't matter. And then the um, next year, even more so. And then you start to have extensions for the current young guys kicking in um, or continuing to kick in. So I mean. At a certain level, this sort of feels like the summer that you that you can get the most bang for your buck uh, uh, with all this flexibility you've carved out. But I also don't think that they should go spend it to spend it on a guy, especially if that guy doesn't fit what they're trying to do. Yeah, and you know, I think there are a lot of free agents out there who are good but then can't shoot or don't fit into the system for whatever reason. Like Reggie Jackson, for example, you know, good young point guard, uh, great defensively, but just doesn't fit into an offense whatsoever that any, any sort of offense run by Quinn Snyder. Um, uh, you know, those sort of things. I, I just, I don't see like a great top level fit. Um, Paul Millsap again, same sort of thing just doesn't really fit in. Is it, is a, maybe one of the best free agents in this class, but just doesn't fit in with that, with what the Jazz's roster has right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to, is there someone? Is there someone there that m- makes us rethink the way that we have? Again, I'm I'm being Dennis here. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a way that makes us rethink the front seven or eight of our rotation? Because if not, then you go try to get better around the edges, um, which would help because the Jazz were bad around the edges last season yes. and and gave way too many minutes to Jingles, Chris Johnson, Elijah Millsap, Bryce Cotton kind of players who you know. 
performed admirably, but are still not average NBA players. By the way, in just in the last 24 hours, I've had a whole other round of people coming at me for saying that Bryce Cotton is probably a third-string NBA point guard for his career. So careful on the Bryce Cotton stuff, Andy. It gets people a little. I, I can handle the hate. Gets people a little hyphy. I, I can. I, I yeah. I can handle the hate. I got white supremacist hate on last week. On really because I I wrote the Orem Owls story on Ooh, for KSL. Yeah, I heard people about that. People were uh, people were not happy. If the the right wing white supremacists were like saying that I was a disgrace to my own race. Like all this terrible, terrible things. There was like Man, the only all hate kinds I've of people can hate you, Andy. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> Lovely. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. On that note, I feel bad. On that note, on on the Andy Gates note, we've got a couple other Dennis Lindsay quotes to talk about. Um, Some fun with Rudy Gobert. He's surprisingly grown slash gotten even taller somehow. I I mean, I I don't. It's crazy. Rudy Gobert just like conceptually blows my mind. Jazz have also made a few other hires. We're going to be talking about their roles and how they fit into the Jazz's coaching staff next on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. We have a treat for you coming up next segment. Um, <laughs> John LaFollette, our, our producer, is is cutting the audio for that right now. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned until 845 or so. Uh, but for right now, we're going to be talking about kind of the other news that have, that has happened around the Jazz. Uh, a, a couple different interesting things on the fringes, but still, you know, kind of fun to talk about. Uh, let's start, first of all, with these hires made by the coaching staff that were announced both, uh, I believe it was Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, the Jazz brought on two new assistant coaches that are going to be helping in different roles. Uh, one's kind of a strength and conditioning coach. That's Jeff Watkinson. But also, uh, he'll be you know working with players in terms of skill development as well. So, um, and then Zach Guthrie, who's going to be an assistant coach, and then slash uh, director of technology and basketball strategy is kind of in his job title. So, the Jazz are kind of like making up some some of these roles as they go in order to fit the roles to the talent that that is if that makes sense yeah definitely actually when i when i heard the description of Watkinson's role I, I wondered if he's the person who's going to sort of help turn some of these you know we were talking earlier about the pro whatever it was the balance yeah the proprioception thanks proprioception like somebody has to manage how you turn raw data into like insights that can be part of your institutional knowledge so i i, I kind of wondered if it was going to be that sort of thing like taking the technological tools and then turning it into basketball stuff that you can operationalize with. Yeah, well, let's hear from Dennis Lindsay, actually. Oh, let's what, do that. He's, what, he probably knows more than I do. <laughs> what uh, those roles are. Yeah, we're really excited on, on various levels. Look, Brian Zettler's been here a long time, and he's waited his turn, and he's learned under Gary. And, and so when you can have those internal uh, promotions, those are the best conversations have and and that's really what we're trying to do with the staff is uh, I've realized I'm not going to be here forever and and we need to be in a spot when that time comes that there's natural successors here um, and and so we're trying to have our from our interns all the way up have rich experience and be uh, part of real diligence real conversations so and, and, and many of the guys there won't be opportunity here but they can then move on 
so that's part of our plan and process. It's the way it's been in programs I've been before, and it's always good to be able to help someone out. And then there there are times when you need to go to market and hire guys. And and uh, uh, with Zach Guffrey, Quinn and I had great corporate knowledge of him because he started with us in Austin and San Antonio, and he went to Orlando with Jack. And we knew that he was a great kid and a very good worker and really smart. And he will help our program out in a big way. Uh, Jeff Watkinson is a very uniquely talented basketball man. Uh, we we somewhat designed a position uh, that is unique relative to the league. We felt like not just us, but you know the league in general has some holes, and Jeff was able to uh, cover up those holes for us with having uh, skill sets uh, in in various disciplines. So Jeff is uh, already, he was already very helpful in the draft process. Uh, don't want to get into particulars on how, but uh, he's a talented basketball man. And we have a few more things coming that I can't comment right now. But again, it's the Miller's uh, commitment, uh, financial commitment uh, to make us, uh, you know, championship competitive moving forward. Yeah, so I think it's interesting, first of all, that Watkins, and we didn't really tease the Brian Zettler part, but he has been moved into the head athletic trainer position. You know, that's that's a pretty straight swap. That's assistant moving up to head because Gary Briggs retired. And awesome, by the way, because Brian Zettler's a great guy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. Cool guy got promotion. That's the story. Uh, Jeff Watkinson is, I think it's interesting, A, he was a strength and conditioning coach at Atlanta, but they're having him do a little bit more here in Utah, and including being part of the draft process, which you know generally I'm not sure a strength and conditioning coach would be that part of that big of a part of it, and you know being in the boardroom and, the, and that sort of thing. But really, they felt that Watkinson could help them figure out what uh, it was about those athletic attributes of guys like the proprioception that we talked about earlier in the show. That the, that's a fancy word for balance um, that Trey Lyles had, and kind of how that. Uh, ends up making a difference in, in their actual games. Uh, and so he'll be kind of using those skills in order to develop the actual basketball skills of the, of the players on the Jazz's roster next year. And honestly, I think that's smart. He, Lindsay pointed out that that's not really a role that exists in the NBA right now. But, you know, the Jazz kind of carved one out for Watkinson in order to be able to help their team based on his strengths and weaknesses. Right, you don't want to be the thirtieth team that catches on to a to a trend, and it's yeah. nice that the Jazz are trying to get ahead of of some of those talent needs uh, that that can address the way we're going to be thinking about basketball in five to ten years, and and hopefully, like I say, kind of be the first group that summits that mountain and puts the flag in it. Yeah, and, and then Guthrie is another interesting one where he's going to be helping the the coaching staff with basketball strategy kind of talking about what it is that they want to do as they put together their strategy against individual opponents and then as a group. Um, although Quinn Snyder also told me that he'll be working with individual players on that as well. But he's also going to be charged in charge of developing kind of the video and any other technologies that come up um, for for use for the jazz. So whether that be designing a new video process, a new video room, uh, for both players and coaching staff alike to use in order to kind of understand more about their opponents and their own strengths and weaknesses, et cetera. Again, I think it's kind of a forward-looking hire to have someone in charge of that who's also on the coaching staff working with players. I think a lot of teams do have you know, a video guy who they go to and say, hey, this is you know, I want video on this and, and video on that, and the Jazz still do have Jefferson Sweeney doing all that kind of stuff. 
but then Zach Guthrie is going to be kind of helping out uh, and directly with the players uh, as well as the coaching staff on those kind of strategical X's and O's point of point of contacts, I guess. Yeah, no, I, like I say, I, I think it's great when when you are in a position and when ownership puts you in a position that you can say, all right, we're going to hire you now because we like the skill set and we're going to write your job description as we go because we don't know yet what's going to be important to us as we prepare for you know the next tectonic shifts in the game of basketball. Um, so it's cool. It's you know hopefully some of those guys will kind of help write the next chapter the same way that um, that Golden State is writing a chapter right now and that San Antonio did before them and that the yeah. Antonio Suns did and it, it'll be fun to keep an eye on. Trendwise. The other fun quote from yesterday's press conference with Dennis Lindsay is about Rudy Gobert, everybody's favorite seven That's right. foot one jazz center. Let's hear it from Dennis Lindsay. Rudy hasn't shrank. Actually, there you guys. I know you guys will pick this up, but uh, so our work with Mark McCowan and Isaiah Wright and Brian Zettler, the medical services staff, is you guys know we go to P three. Rudy was able to uh, a big part of. Uh, our program is joint mobility, and in this case, uh, upper thoracic mobility. And so Rudy's standing reach, because his posture's better and his joint mobility's better uh, from some of his work here in Santa Barbara, he now doesn't uh, touch 9.7, he touches 9.9. So when he was in last week, he was uh, telling me that, and I don't know if he was expecting a raise or not. Nine nine is ridiculous. Like I, I just kind of think about if I stand under a basketball hoop, what happens, and then what happens when Rudy Gobert does, and then if he goes on his tippy toes, he gets the rim, and it's just like not even tippy toes. I mean, like he basically uh, kind of just leans forward a little. Yeah, he absolutely can score without jumping. He can. He, I, I don't know about dunking it, but in terms of just like you know, kind of like tipping it in. Right. He doesn't have to jump. It's unreal. It's unreal. And what's un and what's even more unreal is that. He's that big and he's that long, but he's also that committed to just the process of getting better. Um, you know, he's more mobile perhaps than yeah. we thought, and he's and he's working on a mid-range jump shot. I mean, it's just nuts to imagine what Rudy could be. That nine-seven wasn't good enough for him. Right. <laughs> it's the thing, right? Like he was hey. like, I can, I'm already significantly better than anybody else in the league at this, but just for fun, let's see what would happen if I could touch nine-nine. Well, it was crazy hearing even guys like Miles Turner in the draft workout process, like Miles Turner, who is also just freakishly enormous. And he would come in and talk to our media guys, yourself included. And he would just sound like floored at how big Rudy Gobert <laughs> <Yeah>. was. <laughs> so it, it puts it all in perspective. Yeah, I know. It's for crazy. Us, for us normal humans. Not, But that's exactly, that's the thing is it, guys like Miles Turner are just amazed. And then us normal humans are amazed at Miles Turner and then Muggsy Bogues is amazed at us normal humans. Right. And it's all just, <laughs> it's, the, it's the sliding scale. Uh, I, I don't know. It just, it's, it's cool that the Jazz have that, that guy. You know, it, the, the freak of nature is on the Jazz's roster. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a cool feeling. For sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take that break. As promised, we've got a special present for all of you. I hope. No, you I like won't it. be singing patriotic <laughs> songs. No, you won't be singing. It'll be worse. <laughs> Next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. <clears throat> Yo, this is G-Time right here. Remember to introduce B. Rizzo on the mic, along with Gino. Let's do this real quick one time. Yo. 
I drive to the cup. Just call me Ronnie. Step back three. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Just call me Mr. Mac. Rebound time. I go hard when I crash. I can be a point dish. Dime like Steve Nash. Call me Rip because I got the mid-range. Game on the line. Call me King James. Yeah, just want to be on the top with it's a triple so double. Bad. I practice at the church. I practice at the buckle. Both those places are my home. <laughs> that doesn't rhyme. That kind of sucks. I'm too big, yo. Too big, yo. I'm too big, too big, too big, yo. As promised, it was worse than me singing. <laughs> my name is Gino. This goes on for three minutes. I don't know how much we really want to play. If you, okay. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear the whole thing, let's put it that way. Go to YouTube.com. I don't know if you've heard of it. Look up Too Big Yo. YouTube? Yes. Y-O-U-T-U-B-E. Okay. The, the YouTubes. <laughs> There's some great comment sections there, too, I've heard. Sounds like an interesting internet site. <laughs> Stop it. No Gordon, is, Gordon is too big, yo. He compares himself almost simult- almost like consecutively to Steve Nash and King, King James. Which is, you know, accurate. All right. No, he's not. Yeah, that's, like, that's like six total MVP trophies <laughs> between the two of those guys. <laughs> okay, that's him. That's uh, yeah, I mean, he does. <clears throat> it's funny because Gordon Hayward is not that guy. Like normally, I don't know, at least with us in the media, he's just like, you know, Super low key. Yeah, yeah. Weird little bowl cut Gordon Hayward. But then he did this before weird little bowl cut Gordon Hayward. You know, like it, it defies explanation. It's like Rudy Gobert's standing reach. It just is beyond the understanding <laughs> of mere mortals. Gordon Hayward's just like where he is mentally in terms of his his it, mentally. Gordon Hayward's growth process is is weird to me. Like he's still he's still twenty four years old, right? Like I'm twenty four. I, I don't know. I feel like I should get him mentally more than I do, but I, I, I don't have any sense of that at all. Really? That's, that's surprising to me because, um, you know, I was around the jazz for a minute and like Gordon was a guy who I found just legitimately interesting. And I don't want to be the guy who like gets on the radio and pretends like Gordon and I are friends and we hang out and we talk all the time. Cause I like, yeah, I, that's... right. I just talk to him in the locker room, right? Yeah. Like that's the extent of our relationship. But like he was thoughtful, he was, um, you know, he he actually thought through answers and didn't just give the scripted response. Like I think he's a, I think he's an interesting guy. Do you still see that in the interviews you see with him now? Because I, you know, our times in the locker room didn't overlap that much, and I wonder right. if like Ty Corbin and that, especially that last Ty Corbin year, which he references being like the hardest year of his career was really hard, kind of like killed him from like a. a a media point of view. That's actually when I felt like I got to see him at his truest and okay. rawest form. That's and and my, maybe because it was such a tough year, like I had conversations with him where he was just like, yeah, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on. Right. I got it. Like, That's he just why had, I, but he just had these like totally human moments with me where like, you know, yeah, there's a microphone in between us, which is why like it, you can't like, obviously it was this mediated thing. Yeah. But, but uh, but uh, that was that year actually made me a real believer in in Gordon and who he was going to become because I could just see him internalizing things and thinking through things and that he was intellectualizing the game and the answers he would give me on basketball questions were 
way better than any NBA player has ever given me on basketball wow. questions. Um, yeah, so. I I don't know if I agree with that. Like I, you know, hmm. when I would ask like Richard Jefferson questions that year, or even when I ask Trey Burke basketball questions now, I think I get better answers than from Gordon Hayward. Yeah, Trey Burke is very composed in front of a microphone. Maybe I just never like gotten into nuts and bolts with Trey Burke. Okay. And honestly, if you want me to be totally frank with you. I just never got that invested with Richard Jefferson because I knew he was only there for a year. (laughs) And also by that time, I knew it was a pretty good chance I was gone before long, too. (laughs) So I, you know, I didn't cozy up to Richard Jefferson all that much. Right. No. And I I think that makes sense. You know, I think Gordon Hayward's like well put together. And I I don't know, this got really deep for two big. This was going to be the like light go out segment. And now we're like psychoanalyzing Gordon. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I I do think that he has more distance from the media than I, I feel like some guys have, hmm. even though that, that, that last tie year was, was really rough. And you're right that like you felt his pain, I think more than any other player, but I don't know that you feel how ecstatic he is sometimes on the, on the other side. I, I think he yeah. kind of hides that part of it. Right. Cleveland game winning shot aside. R- right. And so there was that moment with Steve Brown, but then you, you kind of went back and talked to him in the locker room afterwards. And it was, I, and it was back to like, it was a good game it for was our fun. team. <laughs> yes. We won the game because we scored points. I enjoyed making the shot. And Gordon then, make basket. Of course, they, then they asked that like cruel question of like, so you made a game-winning shot this time. Remember that Duke game? And just like, oh, oh such come a, on. I know. That, oh, that was like, oh, man. People. I'm sorry, Gordon. I'm sorry that like we're the same kind of person as him, <laughs> the media. <laughs> anyway. We've got a couple of trades to talk about, though not much time to talk about them. Uh, again, from the NBA last night and, and the NBA draft, uh, I, you wanted to talk about this Gravis Vasquez deal that uh, the Milwaukee Bucks got Gravis Vasquez, the Raptors got a 2017 first round pick and the number 46 pick in this year's draft, which turned out to be Norman Powell. Um, Gravis Vasquez was a player that you might have liked on on the Jazz, and so I, I'm curious what you think of this trade. Well, that trade is interesting to me because I think it illustrates the trade value of exactly the type of player the Jazz might be looking at. If they decide that they need to upgrade the point guard production, specifically backup point guard production, more quickly than Trey Burke can develop, then that's the type of deal they'll be they'll be looking to make. Now that that pick. Um, the 2017 first round pick, it's LA's pick. It's lottery protected, okay. but it's the it's the Clippers pick. So it will probably be a late 20s pick. So if for a late 20s pick and number 46 in the warm bodies portion of the draft, you can get a guy who, I mean, Gravis Vasquez, the reasons why I liked him philosophically, he's a 39% free throw shooter, or sorry, three point shooter. Um, he is capable of starting and has started, you know, three quarters of the games in his career. But he's also come off the bench and played 20, 25 minutes. I just think that a player like that would be a great luxury right now to have behind Dante Exum as he goes through some of the growing pains we're going to continue to see. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the Jazz could have made a similar offer maybe with a Golden State pick or the Oklahoma City first-round pick that they've acquired in, in the last couple of years. Exactly. Um, Atlanta also made a couple of weird moves at the end of the, the teens last uh, last night. Uh, number 15 pick, Kelly Oubre, traded to the Wizards. The Hawks get the 19 and only two second-round picks. And then they traded that 19 pick for Tim Hardaway Jr., which is just a weird move to me. Like, And then last year's draft, they, they drafted Adrian Payne, number 15, and then traded him to Minnesota. Like, It's just kind of a weird set of things that they're doing with those actual picks. Yeah, I, I don't know quite how you wind up taking going from the 15th pick to uh, to Tim Hardaway Jr., a player who 
played 1600 minutes last year and averaged 11 point. I mean, like you had a chance to get Kelly Oubre who had all-star potential. It was just yeah. a weird series of trades for Atlanta who admittedly is in a weird position as far as their front office. And, and 12 was worth multiple first nine was apparently worth six picks. Like and right. then 15's worth Tim Hardaway and two seconds. Like what? It's just, it's stupid. Yeah, it feels like they could have maybe done better with their assets. Indeed. All right, that's the Salt City Hoops show. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. You can always check it out, as always, on iTunes, Stitcher, saltcityhoops.com, ESPN700sports.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. ESPN 700.